Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, September 6th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Timonini. We have a jam-packed show today, mainly because Scott Rudin won't stop sending out press releases before normal business hours, but I am on my own because last night I went to a screening of the new horror movie remake of Stephen King's It. It's very good. Go see it. We will also end this episode with a new segment here on Today on Broadway called Theater Throwback from my friend Daniela Parcell, where she looks back at a significant moment in theatrical history that happened during this week in some year other than 2017, because then it wouldn't be history. It's a really, really cool segment, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Daniela is fantastic. All right, so stick around for that at the end of the episode, but on to the news. Well, it's been a busy few days over in Rudinland, as producer Scott Rudin kicked off the unofficial fall Broadway season on Monday night, announcing Betsy Wolf, Alexander Gemignani, and Broadway veteran and former Gossip Girl mother Margaret Collin would be joining his revival of Carousel this February. Then, over the last about 20-ish hours, including at 6 a.m. this morning, two separate press releases went out confirming what we recklessly discussed on yesterday's show, that Bernadette Peters and Victor Garber would succeed Bette Midler and David Hyde Pierce as Dolly Gallagher-Levi and Horace Vandergelder beginning on Saturday, January 20th. Both Midler and Pierce will exit their roles on January 14th. No word on if Donna Murphy will play the performances in between or if she'll continue as Bernadette's alternate throughout her run as well. Similar to what he did with the new cast of A Doll's House Part 2, more on that in a minute, Rudin has announced that the opening night for Peters and Garber will be February 22nd, trying to make it a big media event a month into the replacement's run. At this point, no word on how long the legendary pair will stay in the show, but a new block of tickets will go on sale this Saturday at 9 a.m. New York time, so perhaps we will find out more then. In a statement, Peters said, quote, I'm absolutely thrilled to continue in the tradition of the incomparable Bette Midler, Carol Channing, and all of the other wonderful actresses who have played Dolly Levi. And I look forward to joining this wonderful company at the Schubert. For his part, Garber said, quote, The opportunity to play this role in this production with the incomparable, there's that word again, Bernadette Peters is truly a dream come true. I cannot wait to get back to where I belong. Where he belongs is obviously Broadway. Garber hasn't been seen in a Broadway musical since 1994, when he was Tony-nominated as Mr. Applegate in the revival of Damn Yankees opposite B.B. Newworth. Of course, as we discussed yesterday, you know, his casting concerns me quite a bit, as what will happen with Dr. Raymond Stein on CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow? Will he become erased as a time aberration, or will the Legion of Dune kidnap him and stick him on some remote place in history? I don't know. But I guess I'm just going to have to wait and find out. I'm pulling for you, Firestorm. Anyway, in other Rudin news that broke this morning and is partly responsible for this episode coming out later than anticipated, Rudin also announced that the acclaimed Broadway production of Lucas Hanath's play A Doll's House Part 2 will close on September 24th. Originally a 16-week engagement, the show had extended into January but will now close about three and a half months before that date. The show hadn't been doing great at the box office with original stars Laurie Metcalf, who won a Tony for the role, Academy Award winner Chris Cooper, and Tony nominee Condola Rashad, and it didn't really pick up when they were succeeded in July by Julie White, Stephen McKinley Henderson, and Aaron Wilhelmy. Tony winner Jane Howdeshell has been with the production from the beginning. So if you want to see this show or its new stars, you have a couple of weeks to get over to the Golden Theater. In other show and casting news, yesterday we also learned that Tony nominee Philip Asu and Martin Kasakis will join Uma Thurman, Josh Lucas, and Blair Brown to complete the cast of Bo Willimon's The Parisian Woman on Broadway. 
Directed by Tony winner Pam McKinnon, the show will begin previews on Tuesday, November 7th and open on Thursday, November 30th at the Hudson Theater. Willimon sets the Parisian woman in Washington, D.C., where powerful friends are the only kind worth having, especially after the 2016 election. At the center is Chloe, played by Thurman, a socialite armed with charm and wit, coming to terms with politics, her past, her marriage, and an uncertain future. Dark humor and drama collide at this pivotal moment in Chloe's life and in our nation's when the truth isn't obvious and the stakes couldn't be higher. In some other casting news, and lest you think we were done with the Rudin section of today's show, yesterday before all of the Dolly stuff came out, he announced that stage and screen star Allison Pill will be joining two-time Academy Award winner Glenda Jackson and Tony Award and three-time Emmy winner, the previously mentioned Laurie Metcalf, in the upcoming revival of Edward Albee's Pulitzer Prize-winning play Three Tall Women. Directed by Joe Mantello, the production will begin performances on February 27th, ahead of a March 29th opening at the John Golden Theater. Pill received a Tony nomination for her Broadway debut in The Lieutenant of Inishmore in 2006, was last seen on the main stem in 2011 star-studded revival of The House of Blue Leaves. And on yesterday's show, I, I posited that perhaps we would soon learn that Ariana DeBose was officially joining the world premiere of Summer, the Donner Summer musical, and well, we do have casting news for that show, does not yet include Ari. Instead, Jared Zarilli will star as Summer's husband and bassist Bruce Sudano. Summer, the Donna Summer musical, features a book by the great Coleman Domingo, Robert Carey, and Des McEnuff, and runs from November 7th through December 17th of this year at the La Jolla Playhouse. And finally in this section, the New York Post's Michael Riedel published an article looking at the new shows that could make a splash on Broadway this season after originating in London. Those include the Bob Dylan non-bio jukebox musical at the Old Vic called The Girl from the North Country, Jez Butterworth's The Ferryman, which is about the IRA and is directed by Sam Mendes, and James Graham's Inc., a new play about the early career of one Rupert Murdoch. We will see if any or all of these three shows make their way to New York this season or in the future. Now on to last week's Broadway grosses. After a couple of down weeks at the end of the summer, the box office rebounded a bit thanks to the long Labor Day weekend, moving up 4.97% to $27,899,476. All but three shows saw week-to-week -week gains, and one of those three, Terms of My Surrender, played one less show than their normal eight. Hamilton was still just under the $3 million mark at $2,987,202, but still more than 700k clear of Hello Dolly, which came in at second at $2.27 million. Followed by The Lion King at $1,999,796, so close. And Dear Evan Hansen again was in fourth above Wicked, but both were just north of $1.6 million. Also in the seven-figure club last week was Aladdin, Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, and... Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, which finished its Broadway run at $1,183,228. The two shows that I put on Extra Secret Analytics Bubble Watch last week, which is kind of like Double Secret Probation, The Play That Goes Wrong and War Paint both had modest bumps in the $50,000 area. The Play That Goes Wrong came in at $376,000 and War Paint at $565,517. Waitress, which has already recouped, saw a good bump of nearly 98000 and now that we know that Betsy Wolf will not be playing Jenna in perpetuity, it will be interesting to see who they cast as her replacement as the Weisslers look to keep the diner open. Groundhog Day also saw a good jump of over 120000 as fans try to see it again, and again, and again, before it closes. Its total last week was a respectable $770,590. 
and not to pat myself on the back, but as foretold by my mystical, proverbial, and not actually existent crystal ball, Beautiful posted the biggest gain on Broadway last week other than the closing Great Comet, jumping up $134,615 to come in $33 short of $809,000, its highest total since the week of the Tony Awards. Also, rumor has it that it was announced at a Mets game earlier this week of all places that a certain King of New York would be Broadway's next Carol King, so keep an eye out for that. Really quickly, a couple of theatrical pieces on the big screen that I wanted to tell you about. First, tickets are on sale now for the cinema broadcast of the UK National Theatre's production of Stephen Sondheim's Follies, starring Tracy Bennett, Janie D, and Imelda Staunton. The broadcast will be on November 16th, and you can get tickets now. Not all of the venues that are going to be showing the film are currently selling tickets, so if you go to the link in the show notes and you don't see any movie theaters near you listed, check back as the date approaches, and more will likely be added. Thank you to Debbie Schrager for pointing that out to me that those were on sale. Then also yesterday, perhaps perfectly timed to remind us of the lessons of our shared national history that our current political leaders seem to have forgotten. On Thursday, December 7th at 7.30 p.m. local time, George Takei's Allegiance, the Broadway musical on the big screen, will return to commemorate the anniversary of Pearl Harbor Day. The show stars Takei, Telly Leung, and Leia Salonga, and in addition to the Broadway show, audiences will see new content shot during Takei's upcoming trip to Pearl Harbor, including new exclusive cast interviews and footage from a special commemorative ceremony honoring the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, the most decorated unit in the U.S. Army during World War II. For more information on the screening, go to fathomevents.com. And finally, in my section of the show, a couple cool articles that came out yesterday that focused on photos. First, Entertainment Weekly published the first look at Kate Rockwell, Taylor Louderman, and Ashley Park as the plastics in Mean Girls the Musical, which will be playing in Washington, D.C. beginning on Halloween. The article also talked to the show's book writer, one Tina Fey. Fey had some great things to say about all of the actresses playing the plastics and some other phenomenal things about the show that got me really excited. All three of the plastics looked fantastic. Not exactly looking like high schoolers, but they definitely looked fantastic. Take a look at that in the show notes. We will have a link there. And then also, Tony-winning set designer Beowulf Borat shared some photos of some very specific details of his set design for The Prince of Broadway, in which he paid tribute to the set designers of the original Broadway productions of the shows included in the review. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. It was very cool and a nice little tribute to his design forefathers, so to speak. Okay, and now I am very proud to send it over to my friend Daniela Parcel for the first edition of Broadway Radio's Theater Throwback. Hi, everybody. This is Daniela Parcel. I am here with the first edition of the Theater Throwback. I first want to welcome you all to my new segment. I will be here once a week to talk about some exciting things in theater history. For each episode, I will choose a notable event, story, news article, or headline from that week in history and discuss it right here on Broadway Radio. Today, we're going to go back almost a century to September 7th, 1919, which marked the conclusion of the first ever Actors' Equity Strike. This event made the front page of the New York Times in an article headlined, Theaters Reopen with All Pleased Over Strikes End. The story goes into pretty great detail about the conclusion of the strike and the resolution that was passed. This all came after about a month of striking by Equity members, but resolved issues that had been brewing for years. It all started in 1913, when Actors' Equity Association was established as the Labor Union for Stage Actors. 
By 1917, the union had negotiated with the Producing Managers Association, which was at the time the Organization of Producers and Managers, a standard working contract for actors in the U.S. But there came some contention between managers and actors. A lot of managers still were not using the equity agreement and therefore were not providing to actors the protections and benefits outlined in the contract. Actors were overworked, underpaid, and all around mistreated. Then, to top it all off, in June of 1919, the PMA officially announced that it would not recognize equity. By August, equity had passed a strike resolution. The members basically said they would not work for any member of the PMA until a new agreement was reached, one that would a. protect actors, and b. recognize equity as the official representative of performers. As I mentioned, the strike continued for about a month. All the while, theaters were closing across the country, equity was rapidly growing, managers were losing money, and benefit performances were being held by AEA members, until at last, on September 6th, the strike was settled, and equity made front-page news the following day. According to the Times article, the managers and the actors reached a new agreement which, among many other things, recognized AEA as the official spokesperson of the actors, required the PMA to use equity contracts, and called for extra pay if actors performed more than eight shows in a single week. In the end, equity was given all of its demands, and over the course of just a month, union membership had more than quadrupled. To learn more about the strike, you can visit the official equity website, actorsequity.org, and Robert Simonson from American Theatre also published a great article about it, which I will include a link to. Also this week in history, on September 5th, 2004, AIDA played its 1,852nd and final performance at the Palace Theatre. Rent also closed this week, playing its final Broadway performance on September 7th, 2008, after a 12-year run at the Niederlander Theatre. On September 8th, 2005, Jordan Roth took over as president of G. Jamson Theatres, succeeding Rocco Landsman. And the musical The Color Purple premiered at Atlanta's Alliance Theatre on September 8th, 2004. That is all I have for today. Again, this is Daniela Parcell. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniela Parcell, and I will be back next week for another edition of the Theatre Throwback. All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. And subscribe to Sound Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. The most recent episode is very Hamilton-heavy, so check it out. James and I will be back tomorrow, so we will talk to you in the morning. <laughs>